Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Friday edition. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. So last night, I talk all the time about how I'm a seasons guy. I buy into basically football from August until after the Super Bowl. It's where almost all my attention goes. College football and the NFL. I don't miss any major game. I'm all in. I'm obviously paying attention to A.J. McCarron uh, winning his free agency. It's everything that's going to happen in the NFL offseason. All of those stories. We talked a great deal about college football signing day. All of those stories are interconnected. But as soon as the Super Bowl is over, I really kind of pivot my attention in a large way towards college basketball. And that's because, by and large, I'm not willing to commit to the NBA until I feel like the games really substantially matter. And so last night in college football, uh, college basketball, I'm paying attention to all the uh, results rolling in, and it just confirmed what I already believed, which is we are headed for an unbelievable conclusion to the college basketball season, not just on the court. And let me explain. But first, last night, Wisconsin beats Purdue. Purdue was kind of dangling around there as a potential number one seed. Cincinnati, definitely a a two-seed, probably at a minimum, loses to Houston, who's a pretty good team. And then Penn State blows out Ohio State, who has been a big surprise as one of the top contenders in the Big Ten. And so you start to look at all three of those games. And by the way, that's the number six, that's the number five, and that's the number eight team in college football, all losing to unranked opponents. And then you read the report from Yahoo Sports, uh, Pete Thamel, where he says basically uh, there's some amazing lines in here, but he said if the investigation into major college basketball gets unsealed, that 
maybe as many as half of the top 16 teams in the most recent NCAA seeding would basically be ineligible because of uh, either paying players, because of the behavior of their coaches, because of insane NCAA violations. And if you're not familiar, this is the lawsuit, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the criminal case that grabbed up a bunch of different teams in kind of the preseason, and then there hasn't been a lot of discussion about it since. And uh, it, it dealt with essentially players being paid to come to schools to play basketball. And at the time, I came on and I told you this, and I've been saying it for a long time, I think that the top players in college basketball are just about all getting paid, uh, especially the one-and-done guys, because what you have created is a black market. Um, and, And what I mean by that is you have all of these top college basketball players who have a clear economic value, and they're required to go to college for one year And then they're able to unlock that economic value and become insanely valuable as members of the NBA. And so does it make sense that these guys who have to be basically, and I'm putting it in quotation mark, unpaid for a year would in fact be worthy of getting substantial amounts of money for that one year? This is why, by the way, I am in favor of 18-year-olds being able to go straight to the NBA. I think LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady... All of those guys, Kevin uh, Garnett, all those guys who went straight to the league, Amari Stoudemire at 18 and turned into all pro caliber players, prove that you can go straight from college, from high school to the NBA. And so as a result, when you disallow that, what you end up doing is creating a substantial black market because we know who the best players are in college basketball. And I think wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we pretend that these guys are making decisions based on who's the better recruiter, I think the reality is the tennis the tennis shoe companies, the sneaker companies, are definitely at a young age because they want to be connected to them when they're 19 years old. It's not like these guys suddenly find themselves at 19 years old, oh my God, this guy turned out to be a good basketball player. In basketball, you know at 15 and 16 and 17 easily who the best players are likely to be. Sometimes they're diamonds in the rough, but relatively speaking, that's rare. So in addition to the fact that this year's NCAA tournament is wide open in terms of who are the better teams, right now, guys, the the favorite to win the overall uh, men's championship in the NCAA tournament is Michigan State at 5-1. to one. Michigan State is under siege, not just potentially from this FBI investigation into whether or not they paid players, but also to all of the improprieties that are happening on campus as a result, fair or not, of the Larry Nasser trial that has spilled over into men's basketball and to football. Duke, Pete Thamel specifically says that there are Hall of Fame basketball coaches that he would he would suggest should consider jumping to the NBA before all of these details come out, which is flat-out unbelievable. Uh, Villanova, who has lost a couple of games here recently at 5-1, to one, Purdue at 8-1, to one, who just lost on the road uh, to a mediocre Wisconsin team. Virginia at 6-1. to one. I don't think there are that many people, including Virginia fans, who actually feel that confident. And those are the favorites. Everybody else is 20-1 to one or more. I think, guys, there's 25 or 30 teams this year in college basketball who could find a way to win a championship. And I don't feel very confident about what could happen at all. A lot of times you hear, oh, you know, this this tournament is wide open. 
and there's like four or five teams that could actually win it. I think this thing is legitimately wide open at this point, not just because of the fact that there isn't much that separates the top teams from the middle-tier teams, but also because so many of these teams potentially could be facing effectively Armageddon as we figure out what's going to happen with this FBI investigation, which evidently is going to implicate many of the top programs and many of the top coaches and many of the top players in this pay-for-play scandal. Now, there was a, a question when this story happened. I said, man, I don't know that I need the FBI to be involved in all of these investigations. I don't know that I care if players are being paid. I'm not sure, other than tax evasion, I'm not sure that this is an example where I want our federal dollars spending a ton of time investigating somebody. But to me, if all these wiretaps are going on and if they've got all these Hall of Fame coaches who have been involved with the recruitment of top players, talking with the shoe companies and figuring out exactly how much money the shoe companies are going to give them, this is potentially Armageddon for the college basketball universe. And I think a lot of us out there are going to have to say, first of all, let's stop talking about whether or not players should be paid for college basketball because the top players are being paid. This is one of these funny things. People sit around and they say, oh, we got to pay these athletes. Well, hold up. They're being paid. We know a lot of these five stars are getting six figures or more to come play uh, college basketball. The next step becomes, why do we care? I mean, I think that's the question that a lot of people are going to be asked, aside from the fact that all of college basketball is a sham, you know, that basically when you require a guy to come to campus for six months, effectively, you get to campus in August, you stay uh, until whatever the math is on that, you stay till right after your team gets eliminated from the NCAA tournament, and then effectively you go on and go to the NBA. I think the question becomes, what kind of illusion were we buying into to begin with? You know that you're not a student athlete when you come to campus for less than a year. You're just buying time there until you're eligible to be drafted into the NBA. And if you're being paid while you're there, which most of the top players are, effectively your school is running a minor league basketball uh, camp. And then if all these coaches are on the phone with all the sneaker representatives, whether it's Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, uh, whoever the, the sneaker Reebok, whoever the companies are out there, I think that there are a lot of major, major issues associated with college basketball. The first thing I would say is I favor shining a bright light on this and saying, hey, let's go ahead and clean up college basketball in this sense. Let's stop pretending that you have good guys and bad guys. I think I, I have stopped believing in this a long time ago. This illusion that some coaches are, quote, doing it the right way and other coaches are vagabonds who are cheating their asses off. I think, by and large, there are some coaches who cheat their asses off, um, and uh, I think many of those coaches are going to be named. But I think everybody is a little bit guilty because NCAA rules on amateurism are such jokes. So my suggestion would be a couple of things. How do you clean up college basketball as we come careening into – March Madness, the worst possible outcome for the NCAA is all of these documents under seal suddenly become readily available and we can read about Hall of Fame coaches negotiating payments for players. One, I think that everybody out there 
needs to ask themselves this question. Why do you care if top athletes in college are being paid? I think this is a fundamental question that I used to care about. This is an example of where my opinion has changed. My enjoyment of a college basketball or college football game is not implicated by a college athlete receiving money under the table to play or living in a better apartment or having a better car to drive. None of those things are their family getting money when the family has no money. None of those things implicate my ability to enjoy college basketball or college football. Um, So that's number one. I think that's an interesting question. Why do you care? Why does amateurism matter on this level to you? Why does it impact your enjoyment of a college basketball game, let's say the NCAA tournament, if you find out that a guy's driving a car because somebody paid him uh, extra money for that car? Like, why does that matter to you? Or if he's got a nicer apartment, or if he's got better whatever, clothes, better meals, better, better lifestyle than he otherwise would, he could have that same lifestyle if his dad happened to be rich or his mom happened to be rich. Why do you care about it now? It's an interesting question. Two, how's the NCAA going to reconcile this? Because it's one thing when one program gets in trouble and the NCAA can come around and say, oh, this is unacceptable, you can't do that, and they levy a punishment, and they like to pretend, let's say an Ole Miss, they like to pretend that Ole Miss is far and away worse than everybody else when it comes to football recruiting, and people can buy that illusion. And three, how do you reconcile a Hall of Fame coach's entire history if they're doing ultimately the same thing that everybody else is doing. I I think it raises so many intriguing questions. I think college football right now is like a runaway train going down the side of a hill that the brakes aren't working anymore on that train. Because I think if these things go public in the the FBI investigation, there's a line in the Pete Thamel Yahoo article, and we're going to talk, by the way, with one of Thamel's colleagues, uh, Dan Wetzel, a Yahoo Sports national columnist who's been plugged in on this story too. He's actually going to join us from South Korea uh, where he's covering the Winter Olympics. We'll talk about this with him. But I think if this story goes public, the article that conclude the, the line that concludes the story for Pete Thamel is, you could see if all this went public, you could see UT Chattanooga getting a two seed. In other words, the number of programs that would be ineligible because of payments to players and what their coaches have done would be legion. Well over half of the NCAA tournament field would be caught up in a systemic pay-for-play scandal that has the possibility of rocking college basketball all the way to its foundations. I think this is an amazing story. I don't believe it's gotten as much attention since those initial indictments were filed. But man, if this FBI info goes public... These, these audio recordings of coaches and their transcripts of what they knew and how they were negotiating for players. The word is on the street that the agents and the shoe companies who were caught up in this investigation are just the tip of the iceberg, that you could literally have found the entire college basketball universe guilty of this, and that if you were a head basketball coach right now, uh, many people have no idea how you're sleeping at night. I mean, think about the stress that would be under these guys if you know you've been behaving in a way that's outside the bounds of NCAA rules and everybody's been doing it and everybody's kind of been laughing at the sham that is the NCAA rules 
and now some of the top programs, coaches, and players could all be rolled up into this mess. This is a story that is definitely worth following. I may take some calls on this later in the show as we continue to uh, kind of unpack the possibilities here. It's a Yahoo Sports exclusive. We will talk to Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports next. We're going to reach him in South Korea. We'll talk to him about the Olympics. We'll talk to him. He's covered college basketball for a long time. He wrote a book called Soul Influence about the impact of shoe companies when it comes to major college recruits in uh, college basketball. All of that and more. I am Clay Travis. I hope you guys are having a fantastic Friday morning. If you are a big college basketball fan, you better cross your fingers. You better hope that this uh, document, these documents in the FBI investigation don't go public because if your school's a big-time program, chances are you've got a coach and a player involved in this as well. Your school is likely to have been buying players just like everybody else has. What does that mean? We'll talk with Dan Wetzel about it next. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. We go now to South Korea, where my guy Dan Wetzel uh, at Yahoo Sports National Columnist is working covering the Winter Olympics. And we just opened the show with uh, one of his co-workers, Pete Thamel, uh, at Yahoo Sports writing a what I would call fairly blockbuster column about the potential uh, of what's going to happen when all of these FBI documents theoretically are unsealed about college basketball coaching and recruiting. And Dan, I know you're in South Korea, but I want to start with that because this is a story that you've covered I mean, really, for like 20 years, you wrote a book about the influence that sneakers had in the world of college basketball, I think, when you were still working in a casino in uh, in Detroit, if I'm not mistaken, as a, uh, what were you, a blackjack dealer? What was your job in the casino? Well, my casino never opened. Oh. Uh, I was trained to be, uh, I don't want to be like, you know, one of these, like, you know, Brian Williams out there. Yes. Uh <laughs> Uh, my casino, we had like shady ownership, and it, it delayed, and then I actually got a different job. But I, I, I was trained. I went to casino college and earned a degree in blackjack and craps. That's pretty amazing. So you could have theoretically, major. yeah. And by the way, you would have been the ugliest blackjack dealer that I have ever seen because every time I go to Vegas, they put good-looking girls there. At least when I'm losing money, it feels like to uh, to deal me blackjack. So uh, so you, I would have been really disappointed if I'd walked up and gotten you. Oh, this is a Detroit uh, casino. Is- yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. There's not a lot of sizzle necessarily in the Detroit casinos. No, I've been there. No, they don't even give you no. free drinks. My wife's from Detroit, so I've been to all of those. Um, all right, let's uh, let's start here. Even though you're in in South Korea covering the Winter Olympics. We'll get to that. But the Pete Thamel piece about the investigation that has gone on into college basketball, I feel like it's been a little bit on the back burner uh, now once the season actually started. But all of the documents, he says, that would implicate at least half of the top teams that have been seeded for the NCAA tournament, the coaches, legendary Hall of Famers, lottery picks, in the uh, in the uh, in the college basketball uh, talent pool, there, how big of a story do you think this has the potential to be? And have we just kind of forgotten about it because we've tended to focus on the games themselves uh, as opposed to this like, kind of lingering mushroom cloud that's just waiting to sweep over college basketball at some point? Yeah, no, it it, it remains a monstrous story. Um, we've covered it throughout at Yahoo. Uh, Pete took the lead at this right here. 
in Korea, but um, we've been working on this all along. I mean, here, here's the deal. The, the, the government has, has their case against these guys, and there's discovery involved in that. And they were, they were up on wires for 330 days. Um, there are, you know, thousands of pages of, of documents, uh, emails, uh, records, everything that goes into, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the term? You don't want to make a federal case out of it? This is a federal case. And people were indicted. Um, how strong that case is, how important that case is and all of that, it remains to be seen. But in the, in the process of gathering evidence, there is additional evidence that may not raise to the level of a federal crime, but will be incredibly interesting to the NCAA. We saw it with the Rick Pitino situation. The University of Louisville, Rick Pitino, um, Brian Bowen, any of these guys are not, were not included in the indictments. But Patino lost his job because you had, you know, this kind of information out about Louisville and the NCA can come out. Hey, you're supposed to pay him a hundred thousand dollars. We have intercepted phone calls. We have, you know, all the different information. That's what can get extrapolated to all sorts of schools because you have a, a major financial planner. You have a major agent in Andy uh, Miller. You have an AAU coach down in Florida. You have you know, two shoe executives at, at, at Adidas. You have all sorts of people, all sorts of intercepted phone calls, anything that was going down. And so your school may be far from ever reaching a federal case, but in terms of if this information gets handed over to the NCA, and most of this information will eventually come out once the trials hit or once settlements are made or whatever, and, and it's possible the government shares it with the NCA anyway. They said they will cooperate with the NCA. Um, that's why this thing can sweep out to 30, 40, 50 schools really easily and include, obviously, all sorts of big-name stuff and all sorts of people that you might not necessarily get. So I think the fact that you saw Louisville, what happened to Louisville, and Louisville's not even in the case, that's what can happen to all sorts of schools here because there is just an absolute treasure trove of information about how recruiting works, how agents work, how all this stuff goes down. And this is the kind of information the NCAA lacking this type of investigative te- the NCA cannot wiretap your phone thankfully but the government can and so the, this information will be much stronger than what the NCA usually has as it builds the cases so to me what what this represents and and I think it is a uh, obviously a systemic issue is when I see things that are systemic right when I, when I see things yep. and they are uh, they basically go from top to bottom. If you're a top player, this is just the way the game was played. To me, it represents a fundamental flaw of the the system that we have created. In other words, if everybody's speeding on a road, that doesn't mean to me that everybody is guilty of uh, of malfeasance. It means that maybe the road speed is not high enough, right? Like that the the, the yeah. way that people adjust their behavior reflects contempt for the existing rule or law. And therefore, we need to go back and look at the way the rules and the laws are structured. Is this a bigger... And so that leads to this question. Do you believe this is going to be a bigger deal for the coaches that get wrapped up in these violations or for the NCAA in general where lots of people start to take a step back and say, wait a minute, why do I care whether a poor kid gets a better car to play basketball for a year or lives in a nicer apartment or can go out to more movies or his mom 
gets to move into a safer neighborhood. Isn't that the purpose of capitalism in virtually every other facet of life? Like, if you're fortunate enough to make more money, then you take care of your mom. If you're fortunate enough to make more money, then you go buy a better car. Why is the NCAA so fundamentally anti-capitalistic? And I think maybe moreover, why have they been able to sell the idea that this is necessary to so many otherwise capitalistic sports fans? Yes, this is the fundamentally this is about the rules being the problem okay amateurism is a fake concept it is, it is a bogus concept amateurism was created in the 1800s in england by okay the sports of that that era were like wealthy uh you know the elites of, of europe would have sailing and, and rugby and, and tennis competitions and they used to win and eventually, some of them would hire their, uh, you know, the, the, the proletariat, the working class, would work 18 hours a day in a factory, six days a week, right? Terrible lives. And eventually, some of their, the rich guys would say, well, hey, I'm going to take this guy who works in my factory, he's a good athlete, I'm going to put him on my rugby team, and we're going to win. And so what they did was they created this thing, and say, no, you must play for the love of the game. You can't be paid to play. That's where amateurism came up. It was basically rich guys trying to protect the ability for rich guys to win and stack the deck against the poor guy who wouldn't have time to practice or train because he has to work 18 hours a day and feed his kids on measly. So the whole concept is terrible. The NCAA has embraced it and sold it to America, and, and, and for some reason America loves the, con- the idea. It's garbage. Amateurism is trying to stop the wheels of capitalism. It never will. We, you you want to know what... You know, the Bowen kid at, at, at Louisville, what's he worth? I mean, this isn't even like, we're not talking about the number one pick in the draft. He's doing $100,000 to Adidas to send him to Louisville to help Louisville win games because Adidas is paying Louisville uh, millions of dollars to sell their, to wear their shoes. The whole thing is capitalistic. You know, everyone has an interest. So when you sit there and say, no, he's worth zero, when in fact he's worth you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he's just the 28th best player in the country, you're, you're living in a fantasy world, and you have for a long time. These guys have value beyond scholarship, room, and board. It's, it's not that you don't get paid no, nothing to play college basketball, but you do. You get scholarship, room, and board, and a little stipend. But it isn't what you're worth. And so once you try to stop capitalism, you're going to fail. So the problem here clearly is the rules. But the NCAA has built the entire thing on this fallacy of amateurism and the need to protect amateurism. So they don't want to get to the deal where you can say, well, this school will give a kid a car, this kid's going to pay, I'll pay you 100 grand to go to the school, because it, it upsets their whole thing. Amateurism is a tax dodge for these schools. They don't, you know, they don't have to pay any taxes. They don't have to pay the workers. They don't have to deal with it. They have a good system. Everyone's getting rich. They're trying to hold on to this. Just pulls the curtain back and says, this thing is a complete joke. None of you are actually following the rules. And in one FBI case, we can knock out 40 schools. What would we do if we had five, you know, how many schools are being legit here? And so as long as they're undervaluing the worker, it's just, it's, 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 it's always been the same story. These kids have always been worth more than what they're getting. As long as that's going on, someone's going to take the cash. And like, like you said, what's the problem? Right? If you, you went to George Washington, let's say there's a kid in your neighborhood 
who's choosing school and you really and he's choosing to be a, a chemistry major and you really want him to go to George Washington said, Hey, you know what? Have Ten grand go to George Washington. People would say, Wow, that's really nice of you. Yes. They'd build you a statue for being a nice guy. They would sit there and go, Well, that's cheating. We don't want the George Washington chemistry department getting better. You know, so like what is this stuff? And that's the inherent problem of all of it. Yeah, and I think that's well said, and and uh, it's ironic that we're talking to you right now in South Korea where you're covering the Winter Olympics because the Olympics, as I, I would imagine, growing out of that same ideal in Europe, was yeah. effectively an amateur-only competition for a long time, and then they said, you know what, we're fine with letting people making money off of the sport in to compete as well because, guess what, it was really hard to be able to train – and make a living as a big time athlete without having the support of, you know, legitimate capitalistic forces. And so they've let in people who might be millionaires. I don't know what Sean White makes a year or has no, made a year. Yeah. Millions, right? Because he's a yeah. great snowboarder. And LeBron I don't think James it's played three Olympics. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. I don't think yeah, I mean I don't think it has impacted the enjoyment of the Olympics at all. In fact, well, I would it, argue it's it probably made him better. It. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, the NCAA says if we pay these guys, no one will like college sports anymore. And that's exactly what the IOC used to say. It's the same organization. Again, it's the same concept from amateurism. Which you have to go back to what is it? Where, who invented this thing? Like, I get it. Okay, you know, little league or something. Okay, fine. You know, but not at this level. But they said people won't enjoy it if they're paid. No, it's not true. Nobody sat sits there and goes, "I don't want to watch Michael Phelps." Because he's also in a Subway sandwich commercial. I, I, don't, I don't want to watch Usain Bolt because he has a Nike deal. No, what it allowed those people to do is actually stick around for four and five Olympics and, and become even bigger stars and draw more ratings. There's one thing college sports should be doing is trying to get their great athletes to stay, not just run off to the NBA at first blush because they're scared of getting caught. They can make more money. Give them a reason to stay. Don't run them off. And so the idea that you would lose all this stuff because of it is just not true. Look at Phelps. Look at Mike Sean White. You know, I mean, uh, all these guys, you know, they're huge, um, huge stars because they come back to the Olympics every four years. All right, you're at the Olympics right now, and I think this college basketball story is the big story in the world of American sports right now, even with the Olympics going on. But what should we pay attention to coming up? I believe it's uh, – almost Saturday morning there. As we go into the weekend of the Olympics, for people out there who are following the Winter Olympics, what do you think the big stories are going to be over the next couple of days? Well, for the Americans, it's been all skiing and snowboarding. Uh, our skater, our figure skaters aren't very good. This, this hockey tournament isn't very interesting anymore because the NHL is not doing it. Um, we don't really have a speed skating crew. So I think... The, what you'll see in this last week of the Olympics, I think women's hockey will be a little bit big, and maybe hockey will get going. The hockey plays are out of Russia on, uh, I guess it would be Saturday morning in the U.S. Uh, that might be an interesting game, uh, but mainly you're looking at, at uh, Michaela Schiffer and how many, how you know she she did not win today here or yes, you know I, I don't know what day it is anymore, but unfortunately, yeah, right, today, join the club. Did not win. Her second race, but she certainly can come back and win one or two more goals. Lindsey Vaughn is going to start skiing. Um, I think those two will be the big stars going forward, uh, and it'll continue to be sort of the X game stuff that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and that's what America's thriving on. All five gold medals have been up on the mountains. 
Um, our skaters, we're no longer good at skating for some reason, uh, but we can ski and jump. So um, NBC will have to go with that. But it's not the strongest American uh, Winter Olympic team we've ever seen. Sean White obviously got some uh, attention here for being connected to the Me Too era and everything else. Did you? Did that make any dent at all in terms of the storyline? It's it's always interesting because sometimes the stories when you're in the Olympics are different than the ones that blow up back when you're in America, right? It's kind of funny because you'll be like, ah, nobody seems to really care about this here, but it turns into a story back stateside. Was that much discussed? Did it seem to get much attention, Sean White and? Uh, the allegations that were levied against him that turned into a, a story back here in the Olympic Village or certainly anywhere over there? Was that much talked about? I think it was a lot less internationally. I mean, certainly it was brought up at his press conference after. And, you know, he didn't want, I don't think he really handled it very well. And that, I, think, I think he was surprised he got asked, which he never should have been. He's got handlers that should have. I think if he just said, look, I settled that. I wish I was a better guy. Yeah. Make some mistakes. Boom, that thing's over. It was the way they did it. It was pretty poor, and I think that kind of blew up. But globally, no. I don't think, because most people don't understand all that stuff if you're South Korean. But you do understand, and what you understand around the globe is, you see that guy's that move was incredible. Right? Yes. This guy's flying through the air. And so you don't really care about the backstory of a lot of the, if it. If it's an international Olympian, and it's the case of the U.S., you don't really care about his backstory. You're just enjoying what, what he does, and the visuals are so great. And and that was a really dramatic thing. So um, I don't think it's a big deal outside of a you know a one day story in the United States that I think Sean White could have certainly handled and should have known coming uh, much better than he did. Last question for you, uh, and I know this is asking you to kind of forecast. Do you think that any of these stories about the sealed documents? Do you think that they come out before the NCAA tournament or during the NCAA tournament to try to create maximum embarrassment, pressure? Uh, you know, sometimes that's what happens in the world of, uh, of court cases. If you were predicting, do you think we get through the rest of the college basketball season before we get a big document drop or more coaches coming under, under fire? Or do you think the season finishes and then this stuff comes out in the summer? Right now, that there's a, you know, they put a put an order in that, that these documents cannot be shared on either side with anyone publicly. So, um, I, I wish that hadn't happened. Yeah, <laughs> as a reporter, but that's the case. I would think we would get through the season, uh, and then slowly it will come out as court. I think it's going to be a drip, drip, drip as unless you know. That, that's the law right now. So someone's going to have to risk breaking the law to get the story out there. Uh, I think it'll come out as court filings are done and boom, this becomes available and this becomes available. I think it's almost the worst. I don't know what the worst case would be for college basketball, but I think that drip, drip, drip is what it's going to be. And it's going to be out over the over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, we don't have anything scheduled as an actual trial the next fall. So, and that's just one. So we'll see where this thing goes, but... Um, if that stuff comes out, it's going to be slowly, I think. I think it'll be no, nothing and through the, through the uh, Final Four. Good stuff, as always. Dan Wetzel, live from South Korea, covering the Winter Olympics and talking about the college basketball scandals. Good stuff, my man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, take care. Uh, that is Dan Wetzel. Go follow him on Twitter at Dan Wetzel. Let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports.
Well, Clay, we are at the All-Star break in the NBA. We had the final two games of the first half of the season last night, including the Nuggets beating the Bucks 134-123. Denver's Nikola Jokic had a triple-double in the first half. They say it's the fastest triple-double in NBA history. He finished with 30 points, 15 rebounds, 17 assists. Timberwolves beat the Lakers 119-111. College basketball, we had eight ranked teams in action. Five of them lost, three of them in the top ten, including Houston beating number 5 Cincinnati 67-62. Cougars snapped the Bearcats 16-game winning streak. It was the longest in the nation. Wisconsin knocks off number 6 Purdue 57-53. Penn State over 8th ranked Ohio State 79-56. The other two ranked teams to lose number 15 St. Mary's and number 25 Arizona State. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, I'm required to tell you that in golf, Tiger Woods shot a 72 to finish one over par at the first round of the Genesis Open at Riviera. He is right now tied for 68th place. I just tried to click on the Yahoo Sports story to read it to you, and my computer was audio was on. So that was the background there. I'm a big pro. Uh, I'm going to read some of the article uh, to you guys next. I'm also going to bring in the crew. Do you care? We'll talk about all that and more. I'm Clay Travis. I'll get the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What's up, boys and girls? Friday edition, Outkick the Coverage. I'm putting up a poll question as we speak. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. Do you care if college basketball coaches in schools were paying top players or no? It's an easy question. It's out there right now. I'm curious what you guys think. I'm going to bring in the crew and ask them the same question. But first, I want to tell you, car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar. I just, I am fascinated by this story in general. And, I, and I'm curious for everybody out there, what is, what is, I mean, this is such an amount of money that we have spent as, a, as the FBI investigates this, right? Like, wh- how much money can they possibly spend on this investigation? I want to read, in particular, the quotes, and this is what I was pulling up um, as we went to break. This is the way the story ends by Pete Thamel and Yahoo Sports. It says, um, what would happen if the infor- – until then, this is the final couple of paragraphs. Until then, the NCAA tournament will be played amid the soundtrack, tick, 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 of potential chaos. Maybe the next one will, too. University presidents should be losing sleep. Millionaire coaches should be losing hair and plotting escapes to the NBA. And players should be preparing for their dirty laundry or that of their relatives to be aired. What would happen if the information under protective order were to be released before the NCAA selection show on March the 11th? A source who has been briefed on the case laughed. You might see Tennessee Chattanooga as a number two seed. I mean, this is, I I think, a sort of asteroid hitting the earth type event for college basketball because I think it throws into question the entire purpose of the way the college basketball has been structured. And in particular, I think it's going to call into question the best teams, right? I mean, that's the other thing. Like, the NCAA for so long has been very adroit when it comes to punishing schools that don't really matter. But if suddenly Kansas and Kentucky and UCLA and Louisville and all of the blue blood programs, Duke, UNC, are involved, because I think it's fair to say, I don't think this is rocket science, the better the program, 
the better the chances are that they were signing these five-star guys who had substantial relationships with these sneaker companies. It's not the guys who are three stars that are getting paid. It's the five stars. What in the world's going to end up happening? I want to open up the phone lines. I want to hear from you guys. Does it impact your enjoyment of the game? 877-996-6369 is the number. 877-996-6369. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage, Hour 1 in the Books, Friday edition. Make sure that you give us a buzz and also go vote in that poll question. It's up on my Twitter feed, at Clay Travis. Dive in, figure out what you believe, good or bad. Does this impact your enjoyment of the college basketball uh, season? If you find out that all the top programs have been paying players, do you care? Does it impact your enjoyment? We just talked with Dan Wetzel live from South Korea about this story. I'm curious from you guys. We'll open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis. You are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, visit geico.com for a free rate quote. I am Clay Travis. We are rolling into Hour 2, Friday edition. I hope wherever you are in the country, you are having a fantastic early start to what hopefully will be a very good weekend for you. And we're talking about this blockbuster. I think it's fair to call it a blockbuster story from Yahoo Sports that ends with the idea that there are Hall of Fame coaches who should be trying to run uh, out of college basketball before they get implicated in this overall paying players, buying players scandal. And so the poll question that I have put up that several thousand of you have already voted in is, I think, an interesting one. Do you care if college basketball coaches and schools were paying top players? Nearly 2,000 of you have voted 57% of you are saying no, you do not care if top players were being paid. 877-996-6369 is the phone number here. I think it turns into an interesting question. To me, and some of you may think this is crazy, this to me is an analogy of steroids in baseball. Let me explain why I think this college basketball scandal could be like steroids in baseball. In steroids in baseball... I didn't care that grown adults were deciding to turn their bodies into cartoon characters and that as a result, they were able to hit more home runs. I didn't care about Barry Bonds. I didn't care about uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these different guys who had clearly Roger Clemens, I believe, used steroids. And the reason why I didn't care, by and large, was because I felt like it was systemic to the overall sport. In other words, people say, oh, you can't trust Barry Bonds' home run totals. Well, he was hitting against guys who were also on steroids. But I do think that if you are a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who I think it's probably fair to say never took an illegal substance in his life, he was playing by the rules and everybody else was cheating. And in retrospect, I think a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. is overlooked because he wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. So the only way I would care in the world of college athletics about players getting paid is if there are some coaches out there that have been playing completely under the letter of the rule laws of the NCAA And we haven't known that. And they've been basically, it's like trying to tread water or swim with a 100-pound weight on their back. 
they are playing by a different set of rules than everybody else. To me, just like baseball ended up getting blown up and everybody said, man, this goes to the very fabric of the game. Everything was rotten for about 15 years. I think college basketball has been rotten for decades. I think everybody has been paying players. If you think that guys getting paid now has just started, think about how much easier it was to pay guys in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s when social media didn't exist, when people couldn't take a picture of a kid getting into a high-end car, when you didn't know necessarily where somebody lived by checking their address, when you didn't have the ability to t- you know, like keep track of credit cards and debit cards and everything else as easily. So I that, that to me is why I would say what college basketball is about to face is a big era, much like steroids in baseball, where everybody goes back and says, okay, what do we do here? I think that becomes the next question, 877-996-6369. I think, again, it's not just that this cheating was going on. It's that much like in baseball, it's going to impact the Hall of Famers. I think it's the John Calipari's. We already know it's the Rick Pitino's. Like, this has been my argument when Rick Pitino happened. All the Kentucky fans are like, oh, see, I've told you Louisville's dirty forever. And my question for the Kentucky fans would be this. Do you really think that Rick Pitino at Louisville was doing things that John Calipari at Kentucky was not doing? Is that an argument that you really want to make, that your former Hall of Fame coach and Rick Pitino who went to the NBA and didn't have great success and came back to college basketball, is doing something different than what John Calipari was doing at Memphis and UMass and Kentucky. And frankly, if you are going to make that argument, I think that you are incredibly naive and insanely biased. And that's why when this story happened, I came out and I said, you know, I wouldn't be celebrating if I were a college basketball fan. Because I think as much joy as you might take in hating Louisville and Rick Pitino's collapse, or as much as you may dislike all these other schools that were rolled up in this investigation, I think you shouldn't point and enjoy that misery from another program because I think your program is likely to be involved in a similar fashion. What is cool? If you think Adidas was doing things for Louisville, do you really think Nike wasn't doing things for Kentucky? Do you really think that when it comes to recruiting five-star guys that at the last minute when you get a recruit that somebody else wanted that somehow you were clean and they weren't? I think college basketball is an intensely corrupt system. And I think the reason why it's corrupt in particular is because you know who the best players are and because you're artificially constraining their ability to make a living. Let me explain. The black market exists for what reason? Because there's demand that's not legally able to be satisfied. So, why do drugs exist in this country? We can spend a lot of time trying to interdict their entry into the United States. We can spend a lot of time trying to blow up and destroy all these cocaine farms all over Latin American countries where we create all these drugs. The truth of the matter is this. Drugs are in our country because there is a demand for drugs. And markets are incredibly good in capitalistic societies, despite what the law is, of satisfying the demand for a product. There is a substantial demand for cocaine in this country. That is why there is cocaine in this country. That's the reason. 
There is a substantial demand for marijuana in this country. That is why there is substantial amounts of pot on the street in this country. Because people want those products and they exist. Now, I would make a difference between, let's say, a cocaine and a marijuana, which I think are drugs that you can use and not completely fall apart, and let's say heroin, right? Like, I don't want heroin easily available on the streets because the first time somebody uses it, they might die, right? There's a major issue with opioids in this country, all different sorts of drugs. There's probably a good chance that if you're listening to me right now, you have a friend or family member that has been impacted in some way by the drug trade. I understand it. I'm using the drug trade as an example for college basketball because much like the demand for drugs in this country, there is a demand in college basketball for the best possible players. And unlike, let's say, in college football, where it's a little bit uncertain and five-star guys can go become busts because it's hard to assess relative talents, by and large, by the time they are seniors, certainly, in high school basketball, we know who the best players are in the country. The guys that would go out when they graduate from high school and be high-round draft picks. People say, oh, there's a lot of swings and misses when 18-year-olds went straight to the NBA. My response is... Isn't it more amazing how often these guys got it completely right? LeBron James and Kobe Bryant are the two best players of their respective eras, if you want to define the era as relatively short speaking. LeBron James went straight to the NBA. Kobe Bryant went straight to the NBA. Their talent was so luminescent that everybody out there who is in the world of basketball knew how good they were. Again, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett, Amari Stoudemire, you can run through a long litany of players that went straight from high school to the NBA and became not just good, but great, and maybe the best players of their generation of basketball. So this idea that we need to protect 18-year-olds from going straight to the NBA is frankly just not true. Because if you look at, say, what Kobe Bryant and LeBron James did, they were transcendent players two of the maybe five or six greatest, I think it's fair to say, certainly two of the top ten greatest of all time, and that's even though they went straight from high school to the NBA. And by the way, this happens all the time in virtually every other sport. Nobody cares about it, right? I don't hear a lot of people saying, oh my God, how in the world do we let this golfer go pro? How in the world do we let this tennis player go pro? How in the What's going to happen with all these soccer players that are going straight from high school or earlier to the uh, to the NBA, or by the way, how about all these young baseball players who are like 15 and 16 years old that are signing to go start playing minor league baseball in foreign countries? The idea that we need to protect 18-year-olds is, I think, absurd. If you believe that, then you should not be able to get out of bed with the fact that we give 18-year-olds machine guns and tell them to walk around in foreign countries and get shot at. But for better or worse, when you are 18, you are an adult in this country, And if we allow guys to join the Marines and go get their ass kicked and potentially get killed, then I don't have an issue with allowing an 18-year-old to go straight to go play basketball for a living, even though some of those basketball players are not going to end up panning out and becoming successes in their respective sports. That happens. You're going to have some swings and misses. But the point on this is that what we do when we set up an age restriction in basketball is we artificially create a market where you have an 18-year-old who's worth millions of dollars, and instead of giving that 18-year-old millions of dollars, you require him to go into college. Then how ridiculous of us is it to pretend that we are surprised 
that that 18-year-old who in another era, i.e. when LeBron and Kobe were going straight to the league, would have been getting drafted in the first round and signing a multi-million dollar contract that his family might get paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars or whatever in the interregnum between when he's playing college basketball and becomes a multi-million dollar pro athlete. We have created a black market in college basketball. Is it a surprise that that black market would then feed money to these players? And if that happens, why do we care? Why do you care if somebody's mom and dad get a better house and or a newer car or any of these assets that these guys are going to have as soon as they go pro? See, this goes to the the problem of what I would call shamaturism. The idea that these guys should be amateurs when they're making the schools billions of dollars and the coaches millions of dollars. I mean, put yourself in this perspective. If you were a coach and you knew that everybody's paying for the best players, why would you not also be trying to pay for the best players? Would you feel like you were treating those kids unfairly if they got a couple hundred thousand dollars to play basketball for you for a year? Doesn't that seem like actually the moral thing to do to pay somebody for the service that they're going to put forward on your behalf? That's called capitalism. That's called paying for labor. We've created an artificial construct. I want to take your calls on this. I understand only in this context why the FBI is involved. Because maybe there's some tax evasion going on. Should you have to pay taxes on this if you are receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash under the table? Maybe. Maybe your family, maybe you should have to report this income and pay taxes on it. Otherwise, I just don't care. I don't understand how this is a fraudulent system. I think you're trying to fight the market. And anytime I think you're trying to fight the market, I'm against fighting the market. In the same way that people may disagree with me, but in the same way I would legalize non-deadly drugs, I'm not going to fight the market there. I would legalize sports gambling everywhere. I'm not going to fight the market there. I would legalize prostitution. I'm not going to fight the market there. All of those things there is intensely a demand for, and I don't believe personally, based on my libertarian background, if you are gambling or if you are uh, using drugs that aren't likely to kill you uh, or for your own personal enjoyment or if you are paying for sex, by the way, yeah, we're all paying for sex somehow. <laughs> this idea that sex is or has ever been free is absurd for anybody out there who thinks about things from a market perspective. My position is I'd rather make these things legal and tax them and not have our police officers chasing around trying to stop them. I'd rather focus on legitimate crimes, not market forces that are virtually unbeatable. There's a reason why these drug lords buy, do you see where like every now and then they own submarines? Like they bring cocaine in on submarines now. They dig tunnels underneath the border to bring in drugs. It's because there's so much demand for that drug. It just doesn't make sense to me to try to stop it. I think, again, I started off this uh, this discussion pointing out that I think what college basketball is going to face is the steroids era that baseball faced. The difference being, I don't know that these guys are cheating. They're just asking to be compensated in their sport. 
877-996-6369. I'll take your calls, uh, and we will go to those when we come back. I am Clay Travis. If you haven't read this Yahoo Sports article, it's pretty fascinating. Pete Thamel, that's the basis for this. The way that article ends, if you're just starting off your morning, I think it's a hell of an ending to an article, and I'm going to read it to you again. Until then, the NCAA tournament will be played amid the soundtrack. And until then, he's talking about the release of all these documents, catching coaches and schools paying for players. Tick, tick, tick of potential chaos. Maybe the next one will too. University presidents should be losing sleep. Millionaire coaches should be losing hair and plotting escapes to the NBA. And players should be preparing for their dirty laundry or that of their relatives to be aired. What would happen if the information under protective order were to be released before the NCAA selection show on March 11th? A source who has been briefed on the case laughed. You might see Tennessee Chattanooga as the number two seed. Do you care about this investigation and players being paid? 877-996-6369. That is our poll question. I am interested in your responses as well. I'll update you on all this, and I'll take your calls next. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Poll question is up. Uh, 5,000 of you have voted so far. You can find this uh, at Clay Travis on Twitter. Question is simple. In the result, uh, we're reacting to that Yahoo Sports story, which says basically everybody in college basketball could be in trouble if your school has recruited top five-star talent. And I'm asking the question, do you care if college basketball coaches and schools are paying top players 5,000 votes? 55% of you are saying no. Let me take a couple of your calls, uh, and then we may play an interview with my guy uh, out in Vegas, talk to him about the impact of all of this and more. Let's go to Tim in Indiana. What's up, Tim? Good morning. What's shaking? How much? Hey, I think all college athletes should be paid. I I know that the NCAA puts restrictions on practice time, so I think it would be a good idea to just put time clocks in the locker rooms and pay players whatever the prevailing minimum wage is in their state for their practice time. Have them punch in when they start practice and punch out when they stop practice. Yeah, I don't... I think that's an intriguing question. Thanks for the call. Um, I don't... I think in general that this would be cleared up if you let guys go pro whenever they want to go pro. To me, there should be two different options. If you want to go pro and make money, then you should be able to go pro and make money. That's where I think the age restriction has made it more likely that schools are going to cheat because it's created the one-and-done dynamic. You think John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and all these guys who are definite first-round picks and they go to college – why require them to go to college for for what I consider to be a sham one-year process when if they want to go pro, that's fine. I think the best setup, frankly, if I were the czar of college athletics, I would set up the exact same system that exists for college baseball. Let me explain. College baseball, when you graduate from high school, you can go into the draft and see where you're going to get drafted when you graduate from high school. And then you can negotiate with the team and figure out exactly how much you're worth. But if you decide to go to college, 
you stay for three years. I think that's not a bad system for every other sport. If you want to go into the NBA draft, put your name into the draft, see where you go, first or second round, do you get drafted, think about the money that you have in front of you, and then make the decision, do I want to go to the NBA or do I want to go to college? You know what your value is. If you decide to go to college, then you have to stay for three years. I think that would be a pretty good system everywhere. And obviously the NFL 18-year-olds are really not going to get drafted very often. But in college football, what I would say is I would amend that rule. And I would say in college football, you can live at, leave at any time you want. It wouldn't happen very often. But if you have a great freshman year and you feel like you're ready to go pro then you should be able to go pro. The analogy I've used for years now is Marcus Lattimore. Marcus Lattimore was ready to go pro after his freshman year, came back his sophomore year, tore up his knee, came back his junior year, tore up his other knee, never recovered, and was never able to play in the NFL. And I think that's fine if Marcus Lattimore wanted to risk his future playing college football, but if he also wanted to go pro after his freshman year, I think it is immoral not to allow him to do it. I think Maurice Claret, Mike Williams, those guys who challenged the NFL's age restrictions, I think that they were on the right side of the law there, in my personal opinion. Chris in Springfield, Missouri. What's up, Chris? Hey, good morning, Clay. What's shaking? I uh, consider these kids getting paid more of a donation-based system because these universities have old boosters who want to donate to the school, and all you're doing is donating your own money to these players. Obviously, not all kids can get paid in athletics, especially like swimming or tennis or whatever, but if you have a basketball player on your team that's making that much money for the school and it's bringing that much joy to that 80-year-old Texas oil tycoon and he wants to kick you over some money, let him do it. There aren't any restrictions on universities taking donations to build buildings. And we all know what money pits universities are, so let the kids get paid, in my opinion. Yeah, it's an intriguing argument for sure. Uh, Let me bring in uh, Eddie Garcia and find out what's trending and what's shaking in the world of sports. What's trending out there in the world of sports, Eddie Garcia? Well, Clay, we are at the All-Star break in the NBA. We had two games, the final two games of the first half of the season last night. The Nuggets beat the Bucks 134-123, Denver's... Nikola Jokic had the fastest triple-double in NBA history. He added in the first half, ended up with 30 points, 15 rebounds, and 17 assists. Timberwolves beat the Lakers 119-111 in the other game on the schedule. College basketball, eight ranked teams in action. Five of them lost. Three of them were in the top ten. Number five, Cincinnati loses to Houston, 67-62. The Bearcats, 16-game winning streak, longest in the nation, comes to an end. Number six, Purdue lost at Wisconsin, 57-53. And number eight, Ohio State fell at Penn State. 79-256 in golf. Tiger Woods shot a 72. He finished one over par the first round of the Genesis Open. He is tied for 68th place. And Clay, now it's time for our Geico play of the day. Throws up a three at the buzzer. It's good. But the Cougars win. The statement victory the Cougars were looking for as they end the nation's longest winning streak. Houston IMG Sports Network on the final call. The Cougars win over number five Cincinnati once again, snapping the nation's longest losing streak or winning streak, I should say. It was at 16 games in a row. And again, that's our Geico play of the day. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800 947 Auto. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And uh, we are going to talk, I believe, with Dave Malinsky uh, out in Las Vegas. Do we have him now, guys? Is he good to go? 
I believe that he is. And uh, with the NBA All-Star Weekend coming up, uh, Dave, what do we need to do in terms of how to bet on this thing? Because obviously the situation is different than it has been before, and I appreciate you getting up with us so early out in Vegas. Clay, they don't have a clue what the market perception is on Sunday. So first, they don't know how the players are going to play the game. Because in their mind, there's a fear that this game might get serious. This might become a bit of an ego battle. So that makes it a little bit harder to anticipate. But second is, if you walked into a sports book and you had to open the line today and there are 50 guys waiting in line to bet this game, you don't know how they're going to bet it. You don't know what the perception is. So this is the one time the money is trying to sleep a little bit, but we're going to rouse some of these guys out of bed in a little while. So what do you think? That's a great point because things are changing, and, and obviously markets don't like uncertainty. And in the four of the last five years, you could just blindly play the over and hit on the NBA All-Star game. But this year, you kind of hinted at something that is being much discussed. Is the way this team was drafted and put together going to make it more competitive, i.e., is it possible they're going to actually play defense and Vegas hates stories like these where they don't know. I think I saw the opening number was Team LeBron favored by about three and a half points, but that's a small number when you think about the fact that these two teams might score 140 each. Yeah, there's now there's an ego attachment. And it, I don't believe that LeBron attached to the Eastern Conference in the past. Uh, Steph Curry didn't attach to the Western Conference, but now it's their names that are out there. There is that little bit of an ego thing. Yeah, maybe it's still... You know, a circus show for the first half, maybe the first three quarters. But if this game is close in the fourth quarter, are we going to see guys grind and get at it? Because now the egos are in play just a little differently. It's what the league needed to do. They wanted the All-Star game to be more than just a dunkathon. We will find out if they've come up with the magic formula. But what we don't know right now is just where to set that line, where to set that total. A lot of injuries to LeBron's team since he drafted it. But one of the issues oddsmakers talk about is, might injuries help? Because the fewer players you have, the tighter chemistry you could put out there. Instead of having to say, okay, we've got to give this guy 18 minutes, this guy's got to play 20, maybe less might be more from a chemistry standpoint. It's a great point. Uh, you can follow Dave Malinsky, uh, early up. In, he's up early in the morning with us out in Vegas at Vegas Point Blank. Speaking of difficulty in forecasting markets, the college basketball uh, situation season this year in terms of who should even be favored, who's going to be a one seed, two seeds, three seeds, all of these different storylines, there's got to be some exposure here because there's no prohibitive favorite. Nobody has any idea who's going to win. Even guys who are one seeds you can sometimes get at 20 to 1 type odds. Auburn, who beat Kentucky on Wednesday night and is going to win the SEC outright, is 50 to 1. And they might be a one seed. I mean, tell me what in the world's going to happen this year in college basketball and how you handicap it heading into the tournament. Well, didn't we have this all settled last week? I, I <laughs> thought it was Villanova, Virginia. For, oh, oh, no, wait. Uh, all those teams have lost games. Uh, Villanova now having lost a couple. No, this is a wide, wide open field. And it, some of the usual names, the one-and-done teams like Kentucky, like Duke, did not emerge. In fact, at this stage, Kentucky might not even make the tournament. Yes. Right now, they've got some difficult SEC games remaining. So some of the one-and-dones did not emerge properly. 
what you're getting now is the public is looking at teams like Purdue, Virginia, Cincinnati, these teams with a lot of experience, and thinking, okay, maybe they are the ones. But here's what people have to be careful with. Uh, in terms of experience, there are no freshmen in March, and that's a plaque that every better should have on the desk. Experience doesn't matter as much in the tournament, because if you've been out there playing for four or five months, you've gained a lot of experience. So who has been winning these tournaments? Well, it's been the team with the best talent. And this is where the Virginias of the world tend to run into that problem. Uh, Purdue may be a classic example. They are a very experienced senior-laden team. And you win in November, December, and January because you outsmart and outwork lesser experienced teams. Well, what happened to Purdue last week against Ohio State and Michigan State? They got beat by better players at crunch time. And that's part of your bugaboo in March. If you have a bunch of seniors in March, that means you have a bunch of guys that weren't good enough to go pro earlier. So, yeah, it helped you early. doesn't help you quite as much late. Like, that's why this is so wide open. And can a team like Auburn make a run? Well, compare this Auburn team to last year's South Carolina team, and don't you see a lot of interesting parallels in terms of effort and grit? Yeah, it is intriguing and also exciting on some level as we get ready for the NCAA tournament because I, a lot of years you say anything can happen in March, and and I think that's certainly true, but I think legitimately anything can happen in this tournament. You say anything can happen, and then usually you have the usual suspects, your Kansases, your Kentuckys, your UNCs, your Dukes, kind of rolling into the Elite Eight and certainly being favored in the Sweet 16 and beyond. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. Another story that we've been talking about a decent amount on this show that to me is a potential blockbuster in terms of how it could realign the way that we cover sports and that we talk about sports is the Supreme Court case on whether or not New Jersey can legalize sports gambling within its borders. You obviously are up early with us, Dave, in the morning talking in Las Vegas where uh, the state of Nevada has long had a sports gambling uh, allowance there. You can walk into any casino, put down money on any game that you want. New Jersey trying to do some of the same things and you can, and like we're kind of going down the rabbit hole now, you can gamble on offshore sites about what the outcome of this Supreme Court case is going to be. People may remember who are listening to this show, I was up in Washington, D.C. and went to that Supreme Court argument. I think that New Jersey is going to win. I'm predicting a 6-3 to three Supreme Court uh, victory for New Jersey. What do you foresee happening in this case? So you're going to bet over 5.5. Yes, is that the line? Is there a uh, number of how many judges are going to be involved, too, as well? I, I haven't seen one yet, but I think it would <laughs> that be is, more four and a half. I it, think they're thinking more five, four than yeah. three. No, I mean, this this is intriguing. But, I mean, it's favored, too, by the way, New Jersey be allowed. And, look, a lot of you listening to me out there right now, you're already gambling on your phones. You're already kind of doing this. And so the prohibition has seemed strange to you. But – it is something that has always been a little bit aberrant that you can get on a plane, land in Las Vegas, go bet on any sporting event you want legally, but as soon as you get back on that plane and leave the state of Nevada, you're not technically supposed to do that. Uh, what do you see happening here? You know, there's a, there's a big muddled mess out there because one of the things we're following closely every day is the professional leagues actively lobbying. They've got people in Missouri, in Indiana, in West Virginia, state-by-state state lobbying to try to get a cut. And one of the things that people need to understand about sports betting is, you know, this model got built a long, long time ago. 
Nevada has already gone through all of the regula- regulatory loops to try to create the model that works for the better and for the bookmaker. It's, it's what businesses. There's a reason why McDonald's hamburgers cost what they do. The markets set the rate. That rate got set a long time ago. Nevada actually had to lower its tax rate to compete with illegal bookmakers. That 11 to 10 that so many people are familiar with on sports, Nevada had to lower a tax rate to compete with that. Well, now here come the professional leagues and they're lobbying, saying, well, we want our piece. And there just isn't a piece out there inside of the model as it's been working for a couple of generations. So we're wondering, how much is that going to throw this off kilter? Because Indiana has a model out there that they could open up tomorrow, give the professional leagues the cut they're asking for, and there wouldn't be a single sportsbook operator because the cut is so prohibitive that you couldn't operate a workable model. So that's where this got muddled, Clay. Is it? A lot of people were excited about the debate of legal or illegal. The debate goes a step further. Even if it's legal, how will it be done? And it's gotten muddled real quickly. I don't think anyone expected the NFL, the NBA, now even Major League Baseball, to actively have lobbyists going state to state for their cut. It's going to be fun to watch, but this may delay implementation indefinitely. Good stuff, as always. Dave Malinsky, you can go follow him on Twitter at Vegas Point Blank. Thanks for waking up early with us, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Clay. I think this is an interesting question that we kind of hit on with him there. What's going to happen with the legalization of sports gambling? It goes on now legally in Nevada. I think there are lots of states, many of you are living in states right now that are trying to get involved in legalization, whether it's West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Indiana, uh, California is even exploring this, and how exactly it's going to work is going to be really probably, I think, the most seismic change to the world of sports since the rise of fantasy. That would be my analysis of this situation overall. Let's have some fun. Animal Thunderdome, up next, Friday edition. I'm Clay Travis. It's Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. Poll question that's up as we react to what I think it's fair to say is probably a blockbuster Yahoo Sports story about the fact that many of the top programs and many of the top coaches in college football likely to be implicated when all of the sealed documents in this case are released. Nearly 8,400 of you have voted. Do you care if college basketball coaches and schools were paying top players? 55% of you say no, you don't care. And that's with, like I said, about 8,500 votes in in the first hour. You can go vote at Clay Travis. Uh, and find it there. But let's have a little bit of fun. We've been talking a lot about this. We'll maybe continue in hour three. But first, let's play the music, boys. It's Animal Thunderdome time. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. This is Animal Thunderdome. What you this got for me, Jason fr- Martin? This one's, this one's kind of frightening, actually. A seven-month-old baby in the UK was taken to the hospital yesterday after an urban fox attacked her while she sat in her bouncer in her home. 
The fox snuck into the family home through an open back door, bit this seven-year-old child, or pardon me, seven-month-old child. Raya Wyatt suffered bite wounds to a foot and hand after the animal attacked her. It was, again, it got through a back door. Paramedics called to her home. She was given a tetanus and antibiotics in the hospital. They were able to scare the fox from the house, and then they discovered that this fox was also responsible for killing the neighbor's cat one day before. Serial killer. So it killed a cat and then rolled in for a seven-month-old child. Got to kill it. Got to kill this fox. I mean, it's gone rogue. It's a serial killer fox. I don't know what has to happen in England, but the fox has to go. I mean, there's no doubt at all about that. Wow, that's kind if of your a scary kid story. Can't, if, yeah, if your kid can't be in a bouncer in your own house, that's not good. Like, it's that, that entire story seems pretty doggone frightening, to be quite honest. So I don't know if they actually have gotten the, the uh, fox yet, but they are looking for it. And I'm looking at the bite wounds on this hand and foot. Like, these are not death wounds. But for a seven-month-old, that's rough. This fox well, is completely out of control. It needs it to be killed taken cat. care of. Killed a cat. Now trying to kill a seven-month-old. We got to. I mean, we got to get the whole patrol out and catch it. And this is, look, this is not a germane story. We've talked about this a couple of times in the past. But a visitor to a Chinese mountain back on the 15th. So yesterday, actually, a visitor to this Chinese mountain filmed a mischievous wild monkey pouring through the contents of a wallet it snatched from another tourist. Now, I'm going to tweet out the video, and it's a monkey sitting on a fence with a stolen wallet. And it looks through the wallet the way you would expect any ordinary mugger to do, looking to see cards, money, insurance, whatever it might be. It looks through the wallet while it's sitting on this fence in the Sichuan province. It takes cash out of the wallet, and then it drops the wallet as a second monkey comes through, and then it climbs down the fence... And then they both grab the wallet and take it. Now, if you actually listen, you can hear the person in the background screaming, watching their wallet being completely destroyed by this monkey that pickpocketed them. Do you think the monkey them. has been trained to pickpocket? That's a fair question. Like, I don't know if it's a wild monkey or not. Well, it says a mischievous wild monkey, so I guess yeah, not. But, but you never know because be, there could be somebody out in the woods that's, that's just like, all right, Simba, wouldn't go handle be, this for us. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity? And by the way, Simba was a lion. Yeah, right? you're right. Just have a little bit of respect for the Disney canon, please. Uh, but it, it, wouldn't that be the best possible thing if you could train an animal to do the pickpocketing for you and then bring the money to you, then you wouldn't have to worry about getting charged. I mean, it would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to catch the guy who had an entire group, like especially at a place like this where I'm guessing tourists go. If you like, if you could just pull this off, you would be a genius. <laughs> it'd be kind of slow motion. Like, it would be slow motion to wait for Magilla to handle it. That's a little better, right? Grape Ape, I'll go with something like that. I've got to make up for that Simba mistake. And then finally, in the world of politics, because politics intersects on this show, Taryn Woolley of Hutchinson, Kansas, filed paperwork last weekend to officially enter his dog, Angus, as a candidate for governor. Woolley had read about teenagers who entered the race after discovering the state does not have specific eligibility rules. So he thought, hey, let's see if Angus can run. The office of Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who was also running for governor, said no. Quote, officially, we will not allow a dog to run for governor. There's several laws that reference that the governor has to be an individual or a person, and so we are relying on that. And if a dog comes into file for office, we will not allow that. So Kobach, by the way, 
is running for governor. So Woolley believes that Kobach might be threatened by Angus, who's also a Democrat, facing him in the primary election. That's actually really funny. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people out there who are like, I don't think a dog can do much worse job than the politicians do now. I don't. I certainly don't. I mean, it's such a mess otherwise. Um, that is the Animal Thunderdome. This is uh, Outkick the Coverage. We are here hanging with you Friday edition. One more hour left on the week, and I'm on top of all the Disney news because I'm about to go on a Disney family cruise. We leave this afternoon. Not going to allow Jason Martin to get Simba mixed up with a monkey. Not, not on my watch. Not today. Um, Star Wars family cruise. We'll see how all this goes. We'll talk about maybe that and also a lot more. Continue to unpack this uh, this situation here with the uh, the story from Yahoo Sports about potentially everybody in college basketball going up in flames next on OutKick. Live from the Geico OutKick studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Well, everybody out there is focused on this, uh, at least we are, uh, Yahoo Sports college basketball story. Three big upsets last night. Three top ten teams going down. Cincinnati, Ohio State, and Purdue all losing on the road to unranked opponents. Makes my argument I feel pretty confident about this is going to be one of the wildest NCAA tournaments we've ever had before. No idea what might happen from one moment to the next. That is where we are headed. And to me, uh, this also ties in a little bit with the NBA All-Star Weekend, which is coming up this weekend as well. This is uh, this is actually really kind of fun and ridiculous, but Shaquille O'Neal was on uh, last night inside the NBA, I believe, um, and there was a discussion about an interview that he is doing with Kobe Bryant. Now, for all you young guys out there on the way into school, you may not remember the Shaq versus Kobe drama because it's now been, what, 12, 13 years probably since that was at its apex uh, where Shaq and Kobe couldn't get along. What was going to happen? Could Phil Jackson manage to handle the the, uh, the disconnect between the two best players on the L.A. Lakers back in the day? But as part of the promo for this interview, which has been uh, promote, promoted a lot and will be a part of the All-Star Game weekend festivities, Shaq came back and tried to argue that he and Kobe never really had disagreements and that that was mostly manufactured drama and Charles Barkley wasn't going to have any of it. And here's what it sounded like. You know, I'm just glad that you guys come to some type of understanding. We never had a misunderstanding. That's what well, you're going to say. First of all, you stop lying. Stop it. Stop it. First of all, you see this right here? I built this. This was my lock-in. Let me tell you, there was there was never ever a misunderstanding. You just thought it was a misunderstanding because you like gossip. Don't listen to gossip. We won three out of four. I know what I'm talking about. If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it the same way. We didn't have a disagreement. We had two guys, two competitive guys, alpha males, like you got right now. We arguing, but see, but, people in the but, streets but, think we have beef. We don't have beef. We don't have it's a totally different animal. We had, we, because, you know, we won three out of four championships, and that's the only thing you need to remember. You guys probably should have won more. What you mean uh, we should have won more? Should have won more. I got traded. You know, we went to the finals in 2014, I got traded. Yeah, but if y'all had has been able to sit down and talk, y'all would have won. It was never, let's see, first of all, Chuck, you don't know what you're talking uh, about. It was a business move by Jerry West. I was an older guy. He called me and said, Shaq, I don't want to pay you. you I got to move you. We ain't never had beef. That's what you I, I know. You that's what the interview is about. That's what the interview is about, Chuck. First of all, you had you had disagreements, but you didn't have beef. Is that what you're you saying? Just, you just you would make more sense if we didn't win any championships. No, we won three out of four. I mean, what you want? What you want? Uh, that is interesting. I mean, I think it's fair to say that this is like Bill Clinton saying it depends on what the meaning of the word is. Is 
I don't think there's disagreement that Kobe and Shaq were really on great Laker teams, especially when Tim Donahue was refing game six of the series against the poor Sacramento Kings, and they needed to get that win. But I think the argument has always been that Kobe and Shaq, if they had been able to completely coexist and like each other, could have won at a higher level. I, I don't think there's any dispute about that. And I, I think what this represents really is uh, just uh, like Shaq was saying, we had two alpha males who who didn't really see eye to eye. I think it's because they're fundamentally different people. I think Kobe Bryant was a killer. I think Shaquille O'Neal was a pleaser. And there's a difference in those two personalities. Kobe Bryant wanted to win so bad, he didn't care what anybody else thought of him. Kobe Bryant was, in my opinion, the natural heir to Michael Jordan. LeBron James is a lot more like Shaq. He wants to win, but he also wants everybody to like him. And so Shaquille O'Neal was kind of this big, lovable, insanely athletic. There hasn't really been a Shaquille O'Neal since Shaquille O'Neal. Big man. And he carried himself in a way with a very effervescent, bubbly personality. And I think that conflicted with Kobe because Kobe saw Shaq doing things that he didn't believe maximized their chances to win championships, but it may not it may have maximized Shaq's ability to be a good guy. And and I think this gets underrated a lot. Most people who are great at something are not like everybody else. And this is and I think this goes across all walks of life. Steve Jobs was really hard to work with. And Steve Jobs was a products genius at Apple. But it's not like people thought, you know what, I can't wait to hang out with Steve Jobs today because he drove people to such an extent. You know what, I bet working a lot of times at Tesla and at uh, SpaceX is not that much fun with Elon Musk either because he expects you to rise to his level of commitment every day. And that drive is not common in everyone. It's just not. And so it's it's funny. I just finished a book on Elon Musk, and I thought it was so fascinating. And he he always has these insanely optimistic forecasts. And if you're not familiar with Elon Musk, he's the guy behind Tesla, uh, involved substantially in the creation of the uh, of the Tesla automobile. And also now he's got the space rocket company where he's taking things off. He made his money through PayPal primarily, uh, the company that a lot of you have interaction with on a day-to-day basis now. Um, and so over that process of working with him, he can grade on you because he expects you to put in the exact same amount of hours that he's going to put in. He expects you to grind alongside him in the same way. And I would say partly this is a function of body. Now, you may guys might think I'm crazy, but I want you to follow me along this path. Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are big, tall guys relative to the population. But if you look at Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan relative to the overall landscape of the NBA, they aren't guys who stand out physically, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say. There are Jordan was 6'6", Kobe was 6'7". They aren't guys who you look at and say, my God, I can't believe those guys exist. They are physical specimens. There are a lot of guys who have similar height and weights to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan that are in the NBA and are nowhere near as successful. To me, Shaq and LeBron are different. There are not Shaquille O'Neal's made very often in the history of the world. We're talking about a guy who's seven foot, 300 some odd pounds, 
who is a physical freak, who almost never has existed. And I think on some level, LeBron James is similar to Shaquille O'Neal. There aren't very many LeBron Jameses that have ever been created in the history of mankind. Six foot eight, 265 pounds, virtually 0% body fat, a supremely talented athlete. Now, let me take a step back. Most of the time, what do you see when you see big men? They aren't very athletic. This is why the analogy I've always drawn is NBA lottery picks, the Kevin Durants of the world, are insanely rare because most big men that you see are not able to run up and down the court. Most of them are not even able to get in and out of a seat without looking incredibly awkward. And so it's not just that you have an incredible athlete, it's that you have an incredible athlete who also happens to be a giant. And that happened with Shaquille O'Neal. And I think the physical gifts that a guy like Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James would have are different than the physical gifts that Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan have. Not to say that Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan aren't incredible transcendent athletes, because they are. But I'm saying when you look at them relative to everybody else who is in the league, you don't see Kobe and you don't see Michael Jordan and see them stand out physically. You don't look at them and say, that guy's a supreme athlete, the likes of which we're not going to see elsewhere. Compare that with Shaq and LeBron. I think Shaq and LeBron, in their hearts and in their heads, know that they are physically supreme to just about everybody else who's in the league. And I think that means that they don't have to push themselves quite as hard to be able to attain a level of excellence. That is a little bit of psychoanalyzation here that's going on. And so as a result, I think that LeBron and Shaq and players of that ilk can achieve excellence without having to give up some of the pursuits of normal human life. In other words, even though he's a physical freak in terms of his height and his weight and his ability, Shaquille O'Neal is aware that there aren't very many other Shaquille O'Neals. I think LeBron James, deep down, is aware that there aren't very many other LeBron James. I mean, we're talking about Carl Malone with a point guard's skill, right? It's like you're mixing Carl Malone and John Stockton and ending up with LeBron James, right? I think LeBron James is aware that there aren't very many hymns. I think that Kobe and Michael Jordan are aware that there are lots of guys who have their physical body types, and so deep in their mind, they feel like they have to be maniacally focused on the pursuit of championships in order to get championships. And as a result, that rubs off on their teammates, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way, but by and large, they aren't guys that you necessarily want to spend all your free time with. Is that a crazy idea, or are you guys following me around, along on this? And then, as a result, when you have a guy like Kobe and a guy like Shaq on the same team, they grade on each other. Because Shaq is going to be like, man, Kobe, why you got to be an ass all the time? We play a game for a living. Don't treat your teammates like jerks. And Kobe Bryant looks at Shaq and he says, man, why doesn't Shaq work as hard as I do? And those disconnects between them from their personalities rub against each other, and that creates a substantial friction. 
And I think really that's what the debate about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James is about. I think the Jordan crew out there recognizes in LeBron a level of talent that Michael Jordan didn't have and questions why LeBron cannot be so maniacally focused on championships. He's constantly worried about slights, what people are saying about him, uh, what, uh, what his teammates think about him, all of those things that did not motivate Jordan do motivate LeBron. And so I think the Shaq-Kobe conflict is writ large now in the larger context of the NBA, which is really about Jordan versus LeBron. Am I a genius for breaking that down in terms of the disconnect between these two guys? We'll talk about it next. Uh, I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Your call is 877-996-6369. I'll also bring in the crew. Thanks for hanging with us on a great Friday in February on Outkick the Coverage. What if you could get up to $1,000 in as little as 48 hours with TaxSlayer? Well, you can. Introducing Refund Now, only from TaxSlayer. E-file your taxes, get up to $1,000 in as little as 48 hours. No upfront fees. Visit TaxSlayer.com for details as well. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We're talking about the uh, NBA All-Star Game coming to L.A. and uh, the Kobe and Shaq reunion interview, which was discussed last night on Inside the NBA with uh, Charles Barkley and uh, Shaquille O'Neal getting into an argument about it, I tried to put it into a larger context, which I think is Shaq, Kobe, is very similar to the conflict that we see on LeBron, Michael Jordan. It's about guys who are physical freaks in the LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal camp somehow, sometimes not needing to push themselves to the absolute limit in the same way that I think guys like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant were willing to do, and how that disconnect sometimes can create conflict because of the different personality types that exist there. Most people are not like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. They are not maniacally focused on greatness. That's just the truth. And so even great athletes like LeBron James and and uh, and Shaquille O'Neal sometimes can take an easier path than otherwise would be required. And frequently, that easier path is frankly what makes us human. Because if you are just maniacally focused on being great, like Steve Jobs or maybe even Elon Musk in business are right now, then oftentimes that can be very grating for the people that you work alongside. Because Musk and Steve Jobs, if you read very much about them, were constantly upset that everybody else was not working as hard as they were. And that sometimes those guys who don't work as hard as you are are more liked because most people don't push themselves to the edge of their limits and capabilities every day. I think Kobe and Michael Jordan did. I don't know that Shaq and LeBron James have done that. And I think as a result, you end up with a different caliber of personality and those personalities can be grading on one another. Do you buy into that argument, Jason Martin? Uh, yeah, I buy part of it. I think there's two things to it. I think there is the argument that Kobe saw himself as a killer. 
And he saw Shaq as somebody that wanted to build the Shaq brand and then be a killer when the game started to matter a little bit later on in the season, which I think maybe you could accuse some of the Golden State Warriors of being involved in now. But I think there's a secondary point to this as well, and that is if you go back to Shaq's time with the Orlando Magic, everything was fine even with Penny Hardaway up until some people started to think maybe it was Penny Hardaway's team. And then Shaq didn't care for it very much. Shaq has always struck me as an incredibly sensitive athlete when it comes to I must be the biggest star on this team and I'm going to find a way whether or not that's dancing with the Jabberwockies or hanging out with the Blue Man Group or doing 17 movies or having sponsorships with every company on earth. Whatever it is to make Shaq the biggest star is what he cared about. So I think that it came, there were two things. There was Kobe that wanted to win basketball games and then there was Shaq that really wanted to be the big star and didn't like that Kobe got a lot of the press in L.A. the same way Anthony Hardaway did. Even when you go back to that 30 for 30 on this magic moment, Shaq even sort of admitted that he had trouble there. And that's what led to him, one of the big reasons that led to him exiting Orlando to go to L.A., as well as you can build a much bigger brand in Los Angeles than you can in Orlando. So I think your argument is dead right, but I also think there's a secondary point, and that is, and you saw it last night, Shaq has never been able to take criticism, despite the fact that he hosts something called Shaq in a Fool, where he goes after all these people that make mistakes on the basketball court. He would not be able to take it if it was reversed. He's an incredibly sensitive athlete and somebody that is very, very, very concerned with how big a star he is and how many people like him. I think that's an example of, uh, that ties in pretty well here, too. I think you can only be concerned with that public perception and how big of a star you are if you know you're so supremely talented at your craft that you don't worry about your craft. Does that make sense? I mean, because I think there's a lot of people out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. The guy or girl who was the best on your team probably also wasn't the hardest worker. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens that the person who is the best at something is also the hardest worker. And when that happens, you get Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, right? Guys who are supremely good at what they do, but also driven. I would argue on some level that part of the drive for Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan is is that they are not physically transcendent in their sport. In other words, Kobe Bryant can't look on the basketball court and see a guy and say, I'm more physically dominant than he is. He has to figure out a way to prove that through his guile, through his ability to perform on the court. Same thing's true of Steve Jobs and and Elon Musk. I'm sure that they aren't the smartest people who worked at their respective companies. I'm sure that of all the Apple employees... Steve Jobs was not the quote-unquote smartest, if you want to describe it that way. Now, genius is often not classified solely based on intelligence. You know, IQ test doesn't predict Steve Jobs is going to invent the iPod and the iPhone, just like a genius test is not going to guarantee that somebody's going to show up and perform like Elon Musk, because there's also other factors. You have to be fearless. You have to be, like I said, maniacal in your pursuit of your particular craft. And so to me, that is a, uh, that is a compelling part of the, the, the Shaq versus Kobe feud and also a compelling, if under-discussed, aspect of the Michael Jordan versus uh, LeBron James classification. I think LeBron and Shaquille O'Neal, when they are on the basketball court, they feel like they are the supreme physical specimen on the court. And I think it's harder 
if you know that you are the supreme physical specimen to also work as hard as everybody else. And this makes sense regardless of what level of job you have, regardless of what level of um, of other aspects of, of sports you play, right? It could be high school basketball. How often is the hardest working person on the high school basketball team also the best? Not that often really in the grand scheme of things because the person who is the best doesn't have to work as hard typically as the person who's at the bottom of the bench. And by the way, this is oftentimes why great players and athletes don't become good managers because they haven't had to tweak every little detail in order to be able to make sure that they keep their job. It's often the guy who's like right on the edge of making the roster or not that has had to pay attention to the nitty-gritty details in order to ensure that they're still employed. It's why, frankly, I think also even these guys don't typically make great executives because the numbers out there of Peyton Mannings and Tom Brady's and Kobe Bryant's and Michael Jordan's who have gotten every scintilla of their ability out of their body is small, right? I think the number of people who do that, both in whether you're selling cars or you're playing on a basketball court, I think the number of people who can push themselves to that level is pretty small. And that's why I think you know people say why did why you know why are Larry Bird and Michael Jordan not the greatest basketball executives of all time? I think it's because they aren't as stars. They aren't able to see all of the tiny little nuances. Like I mean, a guy comes under criticism all the time, but Steve Kerr, right? I think Steve Kerr stepped in and became a great basketball coach because he had studied the subtle intricacies of the game, and then he's able to impart those details that he picked up to a guy like Steph Curry and to a guy like Clay Thompson, who otherwise might, in their overall talent, not spend as much time paying attention to the subtle nuances of the game. If that makes sense, I I think that's kind of the tie-in there. Yeah, I agree. I also think it explains why a guy like Michael Jordan is not necessarily a great general manager and other people in executive roles in the NBA as well. I remember having a conversation with somebody back around the turn of the century when Oklahoma won their national championship under Bob Stoops. And we were talking about Josh Heupel, who of course is a college football coach now, and suggested that Josh Heupel would be a great coach one day. We just knew he was going to be a good coach, but we knew he was not going to be a star in the NBA or in the NFL in this case. And you can see that. like You can see guys in college that you realize have an incredibly high IQ for the sport that they have, but they they weren't blessed with the gifts. Exactly. And to stay relevant... They have to study. They have to work hard. They have to understand the other things because they don't have the natural gifts. And so they have this longer career that maybe they can fall back on. And I think that that's, this is another example of that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think Heifel's going to kill it, by the way, at Central Florida. I know there's a lot of trepidation there over the fact that Scott Frost is leaving, but I think they got a hell of a hire there. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's because Josh Heupel is the kind of guy who had to play on the margins in order to be able to succeed. And, um, and and I think you know his natural talent was not so transcendent that he had to spend time. And again, sometimes these things overlap. Like Peyton Manning's pretty talented. People want to say, oh, he prepares so well, everything. The guy is really good, but he also works his ass off. I think Tom Brady, we've talked a lot about what Brady's willing to give up in his personal life in order to be as good as he is as a quarterback, I think that happened with Michael Jordan. I think that happened with Kobe Bryant. And I think what about Drew Brees? I think Drew Brees is another really good example—a guy that did not have all the physical tools, but worked incredibly hard and somehow found a way to become a superstar 
at the highest level of the NFL, but I think his story is much more the aberration than it is the rule. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and again, I don't think these are just sports stories. Most of the people who are driving into work today are not going to be that hardworking at their job because it's difficult to press yourself all the time. It's stressful. And that's why a lot of times these guys who do it are not that easy to get along with. Because, I mean, think about Nick Saban. Like, Nick Saban is constantly running through coaches faster than you can possibly imagine, even though he's winning at a very high level. Why is that? Because Nick Saban demands a level of performance that wears on you and isn't something that most people can keep up. And I, I think that that translates in many different places. All right, let's bring in Eddie Garcia, and then let's have some fun. we got a lot of parties going on in L.A. Uh, surrounding All-Star Weekend, the exact opposite of working hard. Let's find out what is uh, what is going to transpire there. Uh, but first, Eddie Garcia, what's shaking in the world of sports? Well, Clay, as you mentioned, we are at the All-Star break in the NBA. We had two games last night uh, in the NBA to close out the first half of the season. One of them had the Nuggets beating the Bucks 134-123. Denver's Nikola Jokic had a triple-double in the first half. It recorded, uh, accordingly, the uh, first, reportedly, I should say, the fastest triple-double in uh, NBA history. He finished with 30 points, 15 rebounds, and 17 assists. Timberwolves topped the Lakers 119-111 to in the other game. College basketball, eight ranked teams were in action. Five of them lost. Three of them were in the top ten. Houston beat number five Cincinnati 67-62. Cougars snapped the Bearcats 16-game winning streak. It was the longest in the nation. Wisconsin downs number six Purdue 57-53. And Penn State beat number eight Ohio State 79-56. And golf Tiger Woods shot a 72 to finish. One over Paul up to the first round of the Genesis Open. He is tied for 68th place. And Clay, in the NFL, quarterback A.J. McCarron won his grievance against the Cincinnati Bengals. He was apparently wrongly kept on the non-football injury list back in 2014, so he's been declared an unrestricted free agent and he'll be able to sign with any team next season. Uh, that's an intriguing story. I'm curious how much demand there's going to be for A.J. McCarron. Maybe the Browns can finally get him since they weren't able to complete that trade last time. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. These to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Um, Danny G, I believe you've been doing research. You're out in L.A., All-Star Weekend coming to L.A. I think probably the best possible city to have the All-Star game. Maybe New York could make a claim. Maybe Vegas could make a claim. I don't think there are very many places where you can go and put on a big show. Weather, obviously, a lot better in L.A. this time of year than it is New York, which is why I'd give L.A. the nod. But there are a lot of big-time parties going on, not surprisingly, when a lot of celebrities are coming uh, head-to-head. I would imagine there's going to be intriguing crowds in all these parties. Yeah, the alcohol is going to be flowing in Los Angeles for sure. Can we get some party music in the background? (laughs) All right, so, fellas, the first party... Before I even get to that, let me tell you the first thing on the list here. Lift. It's hashtag fly whip. What do you guys think that might be? I have no idea what you just said. I mean, it's got to be a dope ride. More than one car. All right, so if you're here in Los Angeles and you want to do Uber or Lyft, Lyft has this promotion where Friday and Saturday night you can get picked up by stylish or, or custom pimped out rides like a Lincoln Town Car, a 65 Chevy Impala, or a Rolls Royce Ghost. Oh, that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah that I mean, is that's really smart. Is cool. um, it's that hashtag is a, fly whip from Lyft. Interesting. So, I mean, it, it makes me think, like, actually, and this may not be a business idea they need, but how cool would it be if you could bid on premium car pickups and or premium drivers? 
you know, for a big weekend like going on right now, the car idea is great. But what if they had former NBA stars who for a couple of hours would drive you? You know, like yeah, so you could get cool. or current stars. By- Brandon Wright would <laughs> yeah. do that. I bet. <laughs> well, but I mean, you get <laughs> Brandon, picked up. Be, I mean, Brandon needs to put a seat back all the way, though, like he said yeah. yesterday. It's yeah, true. but if you bid, if you bid on them, that would be really kind of fascinating. Like in live time, like what yeah. would somebody pay to have Sha- Shaquille O'Neal pick him up to drive him from? I don't know. Uh, somewhere in Santa Monica to uh, a party going on down near the Staples Center. Like, yeah, that's a, that would be pretty a, amazing. Yeah, it's a it? good idea for a fundraiser for, for yeah, somebody's charity. Cool. All right, so you could do that, uh, and you'd be getting dropped off at the Ciroc party. All right, who do you think might be hosting that? Throw that's up Diddy, the Rock. Yeah, I'm sure Diddy will be there, but Rock Nation is hosting that. All right, then you can um, get dropped off at BET's Man Cave party. Um, then there's a, a party being hosted by Ruffles. No, they got in the game. Uh, Ruffles having a big party. <laughs> Ruffles then, are pretty awesome, by the way. Is that a rap artist or the chips? Is it, is it the potato chips? <laughs> yeah, it's the Ruffles brand. What an unbelievable uh, move. They're just like, you know, we're going to own the NBA All-Star Weekend and just give out so many packages of Ruffles. Make it rain. Make it rain yeah. with cheddar and sour cream. Such. The cheddar and sour cream is the best chip. On it sure nine. is. I agree. There's uh, an yeah. All-Star party at Lucky Strike. And that, that's also Ciroc-sponsored. It's called the Ciroc Takeover at LA Live. All right. And then a Mountain Dew Kickstart uh, party. Adidas is having a rapper's party. Um, Starring Rick Pitino? Yeah. Snoop Dogg <laughs> is going to be in the house. Kendrick Lamar is going to be live nice. on stage. So a lot of people looking forward to that. Budweiser, they are uh, throwing a big party. Kenny the Jet Smith is having Always. an NBA bash as usual. Then uh, a lot of folks here in L.A. are excited about Nipsey Hussle's new album, and he's throwing a private album release party. I've never James heard of Nipsey Hussle. Hold on. I've uh, never heard of Nipsey Hussle in what? my life. I've never heard. Admittedly, he's, I have not either, and I actually know hip-hop. He is a popular, he's a popular rapper in Los Angeles. What percentage of our audience do you think knows Nipsey Hussle? Uh, probably. A lot of people think about good times right now. 12%. <laughs> 12%. Oh, just the black You're West audience. Coast I don't contingent. even know. I don't even know. Like, I literally have never heard that name in my life. That could be a totally made-up person that you just said. <laughs> no. By the way, I feel that way sometimes now when I put on the Grammys, and I'm like, I, I have no idea who any of these people are. Like, right? I can't even keep up. Okay, go to iTunes after the show, Clay, and type in Nipsey Hustle. All right? Yes. Then right. Uh, Levi's. I guess they took a page from Ruffles. They're getting in on the action. Levi's throwing a jam. Uh, and then uh, State Farm also having a Saturday night all-star party. Jack Daniels is having a party called Blame It on the Game. <laughs> That's okay. Cool. I mean, this is an unbelievable amount of parties oh. and, and brands. Like, throwing. Yeah. Like, how do you keep up with all these? Then after that, GQ is throwing an all-star celebration party. Grief. Is this a White House Correspondents mm-hmm. Dinner? Like... And then I want to go to the White House Correspondents Dinner, by the way, if anybody can get me in for that. There's a greatest of all time party being thrown by James Harden. It's a little bit early. Oh, for might want to look out. Might <laughs> yeah. want to watch out. Partying with James Harden doesn't yeah. always end well. No kidding. Uh, on Sunday, there's an NBA Legends brunch, and that leads into a JBL Battle of the DJs party. Wasn't the truth? What was the story? God, these are unbelievable amount of parties. But wasn't it true? That Allen Iverson like didn't sleep during All Star Weekend one year. Wasn't there a huge story? I, I about remember that? hearing that. Yeah, um, and basically just a, like I mean that is an amazing amount of parties to go to. Makes me think <laughs> that I should bet the under because you know a lot of these guys are going to be in L.A. going from one party to another, drinking, living it up, not sleeping. There's no way. What time is the game played? 
Oh, it, Sunday. Uh, 5 p.m. <laughs> 5 p.m. 5 p.m. West Coast on 5 p.m. West. Yeah. Okay, so it started. It's a, it's an it's an eight Eastern tip. Correct. So okay. the 2001 All Star Game in D.C. Allen Iverson partied for 72 straight hours, didn't sleep, then went out and won the All Star MVP award. I was at that. Uh, I was in D.C. at the time. That's the only time I think I've been in the city when the All Star Game came to town, and that was a wild, wild scene. I mean, the number of women that traveled to the NBA All-Star Game weekend trying to pick up players is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Now, I don't know if it was, you know, like the NBA, like the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, I don't feel like has a party atmosphere. The Pro Bowl, nobody travels to, and it's always like out in Honolulu and stuff like that. The NHL All-Star Weekend came to Nashville, and it was kind of a fun party. It was fun. But I I didn't get the sense that there were like tons of people who were traveling in for it. There was an absolute influx of people all over D.C. for that 2001 All-Star game. And I just remember being blown away by, and I think the Washington Post wrote about it at the time, the number of women. Like, just women rolling in. It was like Super Bowl. You know how the Super Bowl, uh, every year when the Super Bowl happens, all the strippers come running? Maybe you don't know, but all this, if you don't know, if you're out there listening, everywhere where the Super Bowl takes place, strippers travel like crazy. Same thing, strippers for like NCAA tournament opening weekend in Vegas. Like you get on a flight and it's almost entirely filled with strippers because they know there's going to be guys with a lot of money to spend and it's like the women just follow the money. This thing for the NBA All-Star game was unbelievable, the amount of rush that came in. And that makes sense for Allen Iverson, by the way, because he's from the Tidewater area, which is not that far from outside of D.C., so he probably had a large collection of people that he wanted to hang out with for the D.C. All-Star game. But 72 straight hours of partying, I mean, I just can't even imagine what that would be like. And then to go out and win the All-Star, the, the MVP on top of that, they talk about a different physical freak. I think Allen Iverson ties in well with our argument. Iverson was a guy who was a different level of talent. And remember, he had like the, the famous video that went viral and still is used all the time, the thing where he talks about complaining about his effort in practice. Um, I think he was so supremely talented that he didn't have to push himself in terms of, like, can you imagine, imagine if Allen Iverson had followed Tom Brady's regimen, gone to bed every night at eight, never eaten tomatoes. Like, what could his career have been if he had totally maximized his physical gifts like a lot of other athletes do, but still rare? I think Allen Iverson was so supremely talented, nobody could stay in front of him that he didn't have to maximize his gifts in order to be great. Worth thinking about. Words to live by. Final segment of the show and of the week, and before I go get on a cruise ship for Disney, I've taken a lot of money from ESPN over the years in terms of crushing them for stupid decisions to make. I figure the least I can do is give it back to them now. So I am shortly going to embark on a Star Wars Disney cruise. This is a cruise where there are constantly Star Wars people walking around. My boys, I've got a fourth grader, a first grader, and a three-year-old obsessed with Star Wars. We got them started early. So this cruise ship is literally a Star Wars-designed cruise from Disney. No idea how it's going to go. I'm going to be out next week. Jason Martin will be sitting in. Follow me on Twitter because there's probably going to be some wackiness if I have a Wi-Fi signal on the cruise. But final segment of the week up next. I'm Clay Travis. It's Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. This is Nipsey Russell, huh? Uh, I think, right? That's the guy's name. Everybody's got a to-do list. Now I know who he is. Drop off the dry cleaning. 
That's Hustle. Pick, That's Mr. Hustle to you. Nipsey Hustle. Who's Nipsey Russell? <laughs> Actor on Good Times. You heard me say that in the yeah. last segment. Oh, I, I, I didn't hear you. I mean, I heard you mention that, but I didn't remember. I knew the name Nipsey Russell. So this this guy's making a play on his name and being Nipsey Hustle, I guess. Exactly. It's his alias. Is there more than one Nipsey Russell? Was the guy on Good Times a play on somebody else, or is that where that name originally came from? That's where the name came from. Everybody's got a to-do list. I can't keep up. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to pick up or drop off anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. Um, All right. Bring in the news. I got that wrong. What is that? Yeah. I got that wrong about Nipsey Russell. Like, Nipsey Russell, I remember seeing all over TV. He was like, he was a stand-up comic that did game shows, like as a guest panelist, like back in the day when Hollywood Squares existed and Match Game and things like that. I'm just going to go ahead and call myself out for being wrong on this one because you're (laughs) going to get a bunch of tweets and you're going to come after me. I had that mixed up. There were a bunch of folks that, I think he might have guessed it on that show, but he's mainly known for like... As, being as part a of these kid, variety shows. Yeah, as a kid, I saw him at sh- on Showtime at the Apollo. Yeah. Okay, he, he lived a long time. I mean, yeah, I just pulled it because I was like, I don't think Nipsey... I, I'm trying to remember where this name came from. All right, so he was... Uh, he was around from 1918 to 2005. So, and he this says he was on Match Game, Password, Hollywood Squares, to tell the truth in Pyramid. He was so, he was in he was in entertainment for 53 years, from yeah. 52 to 05 when he died. And you just totally blew it by saying that he was on good times. Yeah, but I just admitted to it. I think so, it was racist. Yeah, I got it wrong. You got okay. one black Maybe man it confused was. with another black man. All Apparently right. all I have is white guilt right now, if you yeah, read my well, Twitter, I, you're Twitter mentions for Black def- Panther. You definitely shouldn't go see Black Panther, uh, for sure. You definitely should. Um, all right, a couple of things. Um, I actually want to get serious for like one minute here. Um, I So uh, we didn't talk very much at all about this, uh, this shooting in Florida, right? So... I talked about this yesterday on my Outkick the show. Um, I'm not going to get into gun control. I'm not going to get into your Second Amendment rights. It seems like anytime when you have one of these shootings, most people spend all their time arguing over who's to blame, and they overlook the fact that clearly the person who did the shooting is to blame, right? And they argue Democrats are to blame, Republicans are to blame, this law is to blame, that law is to blame, we need more guns, less guns, everything else. Here's what I would suggest. I think this is something that all reasonable people can agree on. I have done a a little bit of study on this in terms of reading and trying to read as much literature on it. Like, why do people behave in a way where they decide to go out and commit mass atrocity like this? And frequently what I have come back to again and again and again is that they want their names to become famous. They want to commit a crime that puts them on the front page of the newspaper, that puts them on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, wherever you get your news, radio stations, everything else. Here is my pledge that I would encourage other people out there in the world of media to also do. I am no longer going to ever mention anything about the people who do these mass shootings. Instead, I'm going to encourage you to focus on the victims of these shootings, ignore the perpetrators. They should be brought to justice. They should be put in jail forever. They should be executed, whatever happens to them. But I'm not going to focus on them because I think that's what they want. And I think that's why these things keep happening. So I mentioned this guy yesterday. There's a clear sports connection here. I'm going to mention him again today. Assistant football coach Aaron Feiss was killed in the Florida school shootings according to the school's football program. He threw himself 
in front of children who were being shot at by the suspect acting as a human shield, a communications director for the school said. This guy's name is Aaron Feiss. I would encourage all of you in your lives, in your day-to-day, on your social media accounts, in the way that you talk, to think about whether you want to honor these innocent victims who gave their life up with sole acts of genuine bravery or to use the name of a deadly coward who is hoping that you will use his name to further what he did. Thoughts for you as you go into the weekend. I believe that the media and also the social media, that is every single one of us, is helping to encourage murderous psychopaths to act in a murderous and psychopathic fashion and share their names and their stories. Instead of giving them what they want, let's focus on men and women like Aaron Feiss who give up their lives to protect the innocent among us. I would encourage you to take my pledge. I'm no longer going to share anybody's name or any article that references any of these people who pulled these heinous acts off. I think I can make a small difference that way, and I think you can too. Have great weekends. Love you all. This has been Outkick, the coverage. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts